0: Well, hey new city it's great to be with you today uh i really want to say merry christmas but christmas is done uh, which seems kind of strange right i mean it's over right i feel like we're doing all this preparation all this excitement and now christmas is just done so i guess i'll say i hope you had a merry christmas uh advent is also done i mean we saw the advent wreath we're finishing up our advent series but advent's done advent is waiting for the celebration of jesus coming and waiting for christmas and so it's done and it feels weird to have all these things done, and, and perhaps it feels kind of weird to still be doing an Advent series. Then, uh, but we wanted to talk one more about what it mean one more time about what it means to live Advent, to live peace, to live hope, to live joy, and to live love. And so I hope you'll indulge me today. We're going to spend a little time in Luke chapter one, as John read for us from Mary's song. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's a lot of stuff in Luke chapter one. I mean, probably the most famous passage in Luke chapter 1 is the, the angel coming to Mary and announcing the, that she's going to become pregnant with this baby, and it's going to be, you know, God's son and the Savior of the world, all those little things. Uh, and that's probably the one that we remember the most, but what's crazy is that's not the only thing in chapter 1. That's not even the only angelic birth announcement in chapter 1. I mean, Luke actually starts his gospel not talking to us about the birth of Jesus and the promise of Jesus, but instead the promise of another baby who will become known as John the Baptist, And so this is another angelic visit, and this time the angel comes to what will be John's father, Zechariah. He is a priest, and he's in the the temple fulfilling the the priestly duties. And this angel comes to him and tells him about how his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have this baby. And it's another miraculous birth, because the thing is, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old, right? And not only are they old, but Elizabeth is barren. And so Zechariah is so blown away by this, it's so surprising to him that he kind of starts to, I don't know, argue or question the angel and and ends up asking for a sign. And I don't know if the angel's a little frustrated, but the sign he chooses is that Zechariah will not be able to speak. He's rendered speechless until after the baby is born. Um, I kind of wonder if my wife Joanna would have preferred if I had been rendered speechless during our pregnancies. Uh, I I love greatly, but I don't always uh, speak it well. There's one incident that still lives in infamy where Joanna was very pregnant with Lizzie, I think maybe month eight or month nine. I mean, pretty pregnant. And Joanna was kind of bemoaning some of the unfortunate parts of pregnancy and the difficulties of it. And at some point, now, this is where our versions kind of diverge a little bit, but I'll try to be true to her too. There was a conversation in which Joanna said something to the effect of, I feel like a beached whale. And being the loving and caring and supportive husband that I am, I immediately refuted that, and I said, no, dear, you are nothing like a beach whale. Like, at most, you're talking like beach seal. And this apparently was not received with the comfort and support and love that I intended, uh, and so she still holds it over me, and she still loves to tell this story at parties, if I'm getting, uh, I guess, a little out of hand. So I don't know. I think that she might have preferred that I had been rendered speechless, but this is what happens to Zechariah. And this is how Luke starts the story. But then what's interesting is Luke goes into this announcement that Pastor Nate talked to us about the other day, but this announcement that Mary's going to have a baby. And it's interesting the way that kind of Luke weaves these two stories together. In fact, right after Mary gets this announcement, and she's coming to terms with the fact that she's pregnant, she immediately leaves to go and be with her cousin, Elizabeth, who's Zechariah's wife, uh, who's now pregnant with John, right? So she goes to leave and be with her, and I don't know why she does that. It might be because she's trying to come to terms with her pregnancy. I mean, she's 14, 15 year old girl, uh, unwed, pregnant. Maybe she's trying to escape some of the, the social stuff that comes with that. Uh, I don't know if she's just looking for somebody who can you know, partner with her in this pregnancy and kind of commiserate a little bit and maybe her formerly barren uh, cousin who's having a, a miracle baby as well. Maybe they have a lot they can talk about, but whatever it is, she then goes and talks to Elizabeth and goes and visits with her and stays with her for a few months. And Elizabeth, upon receiving Mary, says, when you greeted me, when you spoke, the baby inside of me jumped, and there's this recognition between John and Jesus, and then Mary launches into this whole song that we get for today. But what's interesting is the way that Luke keeps weaving these stories together. And I think we always have to remember that the way that the gospel writers tell us stories is important, because they're not just telling us this information to say, this happened, and then this happened, and this happened, because we know this because there's a lot of things they don't tell us. Like, we have no idea what Jesus would eat for breakfast, or if he had an imaginary friend, or who his best friend was growing up, or if he played games. We know none of these things because they're left out. And so Luke has all this stuff that he doesn't tell us, and even the way that he arranges things is meant to tell us something. And Luke's not alone in that. That's kind of the way that the scriptures work as a whole. And so I think we should be looking at what does Luke want to tell us even in the way that he's telling the story? And when I work with the teens, when I teach them, I like to play a game uh, called Where Have I Heard That Before? Uh, it's not a very catchy name. Most of my game names have awesome or awesome sauce in it somewhere. Uh, this one does not. But it's still it's an effective game we should play whenever we're reading the scripture. We should kind of have our radar up and be thinking, what is this hearkening to? Uh, because, again, they're telling us these things not just because they happened, but they're picking these things to tell us in these ways because they want to tell us something more. And so Luke is trying to hearken back to some other things, and if we play, where have I heard that before with Luke chapter one, all kinds of bells should be going off. And the reason is because you you start out with this older couple who've experienced barrenness, and now they're gonna have this miraculous birth. And that's amazing, and that doesn't happen very often. But what's crazy is, This isn't the first time we've heard this story. There are multiple occasions in which this is the way that God shows up. So, the first time that we see this is with Abraham and Sarah, way back at the beginning in Genesis. So, they're old, Sarah's barren, and they've kind of come to terms with the fact that they're never going to have children. And God comes to Abraham one day and says, You're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, I can't even be the father of one kid. What are you talking about? And God says, no, Sarah's going to become pregnant, you're going to have this kid. And Sarah is so overwhelmed by this, she finds it so unimaginable that she laughs out loud at God. This is why later her child's name is Isaac, because it means laughter, right? She's so blown away by this, but it turns out that's exactly what happens. The baron gives birth. But what's crazy is, it's not just with Abraham and Sarah and then skip to Elizabeth. That's not how it works. We've got others. We've got one that we kind of tend to forget about, but Samson's parents, You remember Samson? He was a guy who was like super strong, really long hair, and you know he falls in with Delilah, who's really this double agent for the Philistines, and she tricks, into, tricks him into giving away his secret, that if his hair is cut, he'll lose all of his strength. So sure enough, one night he's sleeping, she cuts his hair, the Philistines overpower him. But what we sometimes forget in telling that story is his parents, same thing, barren, another miracle birth. And then the biggest bell that should go off today when we play Where Have I Heard That Before is Hannah. Hannah ends up being the mother of Samuel, but when when Hannah has this this gift of Samuel given to her and she gives birth and, and she finally has this child that she's prayed for, when she has that promise fulfilled, she sings a song, and it's weirdly reminiscent of the song that Mary sings. So there are all these dots being connected back, but Hannah was barren. Hannah had no hope. She would go to the temple and pray so fervently that Eli, the priest, when he saw her praying, he thought she'd lost her mind. In fact, he thought she was drunk. He went to rebuke her for drinking and being drunk in the temple. But it turns out that she was praying so fervently that God would give her life where no life seemed to be possible. So even though this is a miracle that Elizabeth is going to have this child, we find that this is kind of a, a common theme for God. The God is, this is kind of old hat for God. In fact, God was known, the God of the Hebrews and the God of the Israelites was known as the God of the barren. Because time and time again, God brought life out of places that seemed like death. And he was the one who could have the barren bring forth a new baby. So we have this miracle, but then we've got this other miracle interwoven. And that's a story of not a barren woman, but a young girl who's not even married yet. A virgin, right? So we have several instances where the baron give birth. This is the only one we have <laughs> where the virgin gives birth, okay? But Luke is weaving these two stories together, and I think part of what Luke wants to do is tell us that, that God is doing something brand new. There's something different here. In fact, one way that I see that is in who sings a song to begin with, because tradition says that this song that's so similar to Hannah's song, it should have been sung by Elizabeth, it should have been the barren woman singing the song. In fact, some early scribes thought that, that there was a mistake in some of the manuscripts they had. So some of the later manuscripts we have, they corrected it and went in and changed Mary said to Elizabeth said. And they have Elizabeth singing the song. Now all the early manuscripts and the fact that the song applies to Mary shows us that, that they were wrong. But they thought to themselves, it's got to be Elizabeth that sings this song. But it's not Elizabeth that sings Hannah's song, it's Mary. It's Mary who sings the song, and what we have is we have God doing something so new and so unimaginable and so different. And we need to make sure that we also understand, though, that it's consistent with who God is. It's not like God has multiple personalities and is just taking this 180, right? It's consistent with what God has done in the past, but we should also be clear that God is doing something new. So with all that in our mind, I kind of want to look at the song that Mary sings, and I want to see what does it tell us about God, and what does it tell us about ourselves. And the first thing that I see when I look at this song is I see that God cares. God cares. In fact, Mary begins, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, but then in verse 48, right after that, she says, Why? For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, Mary had no qualifications. There was nothing that said that Mary should have been chosen to be the one to bear God's son. In fact, Elizabeth was more qualified. Both Elizabeth and Zechariah came from priestly families. Zechariah was a priest. In fact, Luke lays out their qualifications at the beginning, talking about how righteous they are and how blameless, how good at following the law they are. Mary, there's nothing. Mary is really a nobody from kind of a nobody family. And there's nothing that would say Mary should be picked. In fact, if we were looking to pick somebody, we wouldn't even see Mary because her name wouldn't be on the list. And yet Mary knows something vitally important about God, and that is God cares. God cares for Mary, and she recognizes that. And it might be a no-brainer to think God cares. But I would challenge us on that, because I think that there are times, if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably at some point in our lives, all of us really ask that question. Does God really care? I mean, when we look at our own pain and our own suffering and even the pain and suffering around us, sometimes we ask ourselves, does God really care? And if you do find yourself asking that question, you're not alone. In fact, theologians for generations came up with an answer that was kind of God doesn't care. For a long time, it was kind of held that That God is almost this cosmic watchmaker, right? Who sets everything up and the whole system and reality and time and and it's all intricately built, but then he kind of flips the first switch and that's it. Then God is distant and removed, totally unaffected by anything going on here. God doesn't care. That's a sad world to live in because if you come to the conclusion that God doesn't care, there is no hope, there's no peace there's no joy, there is no love, right? And so while it may sound like a no-brainer at first, of course God cares, like that's kind of God's job. God has to care. We need to remember that truth. We need to cling to that truth. We need it to seep down deep inside of us because if we lose sight of that truth, we lose sight of who God is and we lose everything. No matter what our circumstances tell us, God cares, And Mary recognizes that. And again, this is a message that's consistent with who God is. God doesn't just start caring with Jesus, right? We see it all through the scriptures, and I don't have time to point them all out, but if you know me, one of my favorite places to go is Exodus, and I think it's one of the clearest places that we see how much God cares, The Exodus story is a story of these enslaved, abused people who are seen as less than and who are oppressed by a power far greater than themselves. They have no hope. And all they can do is cry out and moan and groan. And yet we see there that God cares. God hears them and God does something about it. And some of my favorite verses come out of the end of chapter 2, looking at verse 23 to begin with. Hear these words Look at all of those verbs associated with what God does. God doesn't just hear their groans. It becomes part of who God is. When you get to that part where God knew, this isn't like a mental thing where like, God's like, oh man, they're suffering. This is like the biblical to know, to know completely and fully and intimately to experience it for God's self. See, God cares and God suffers with us and God hurts with us. And Mary recognizes that in her song. And it's not just in Mary's song. Two other verses that encapsulate best the caring and love of God are found in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 316, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, right? So that whoever believes in him might not perish, but would have eternal life. And then the less quoted, but equally important, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. See, some people do think God cares, but all God cares about is waiting for us to step out of line so he can zap us with a lightning bolt, right? And that's a terrible world to live in too, but that's not the God that we see. We see the God who loves so much, who cares so much, who knows our suffering so much that he is willing to send us his son, that he is willing to enter into it to suffer himself for us. And this is the God that Mary praises in her song. For she knows that God cares. This God who cares also calls. We see in Mary's life, we see God calls Mary, right? In the whole birth announcement, what's happening in Mary's life is she's just going about her normal business. And then this angel, boom, interrupts her life and says, hey, God has chosen you for something. God has chosen you. God has favor on you. And here's this beautiful thing that God is calling you to. See, I think we miss, there's a miracle of Jesus being born and all that kind of stuff, but I think there's this miracle of the call that we miss. God goes to Mary and says, I have a plan to save the world. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. You have a part to play in this. See, God calls. And it's not just that, that God calls Mary It's not just that God calls Mary and this is some new thing where God's like, well, i got to do this Jesus thing. I should probably start calling people. Again, this is consistent with who God is. All throughout the Bible, we see this pattern of call and response. Just going and staying with our Exodus example, what does God do after he hears, after he sees, after he knows and suffers with his people? What does he do? He calls. He calls Moses, and he says, Moses, I've got a rescue plan, and I want you to be part of it. He calls Moses in and he invites him in and says, Moses, we have to go get my people out of here. He calls this God who cares, is a God who calls. But here's the problem is sometimes we read these amazing stories about Abraham's call and Moses' call and even Mary's call. And we we see it as this, this big thing that God only calls for big stuff, Right? And so we think that maybe one of us might have a call from God sometime in our lives, but we usually don't even think us. We think somebody else, right? Or sometimes we limit it to being called into ministry. Like, I feel like I was called into ministry. And I think that that's a valid call. I think that's part of it. But we often think of being called as like formal ministry, full-time ministry, pastors, missionaries. That's our call. But if we limit it to being burning bushes or being pastors, we miss the fact, hear this, that God is calling us every moment of every day. God is continually calling us. That means that God is calling me right now. God is calling you right now. God is saying, I am doing all of these great things. I am making things new. And I have a part for you to play. A part for you to play in this moment. Maybe here in this building or sitting at home on your couch with people around you, there's a part for you to play in this moment that God is calling you to. This God who cares is a God who calls. And then what we see with Mary's song and with Mary's life is then we have a chance to respond. We have a chance to respond because God doesn't force himself. It's a call, not an order. It's not a military commander saying, you will do this and you have no choice. It's a call. In fact, it's a call that can get lost that we don't even hear. That can get lost in the busyness and the noisiness of our lives. And it's like the phone is ringing in the background and nobody even hears it. And so we miss the call completely. Or we can pick up the phone. We can pick up the phone and God can say, hey, I've got this crazy, audacious, wild plan. And we can go, whoa, call somebody else. I'm good, right? I mean, think about it. Mary is just going about her normal life. When we teach this, this story to kids, like in Kid City and stuff, we always have pictures or animations. I don't know why we don't use them more with adults. But we have animations and stuff to help understand what's going on. And Mary is always doing something super mundane. And almost always, it's a chore. Most of the time, she's sweeping. I don't know, like I thought she had dirt floors. I don't know if you sweep dirt floors or if it's just that there was so much dirt all around her, but Mary's always sweeping, right? But the point is she's going about her ordinary life when she has this extraordinary call from God, right? But she's attentive to it. She's open to it. And then she responds, and I think that's where we see another miracle. The miracle of Mary's response. Because on one hand, it's, it's totally extraordinary. extraordinary. I mean, this angel's just told her all this crazy stuff that's going to happen, and she doesn't fight the angel. She doesn't have, like, this whole litany of questions. She doesn't propose all these different ways. In fact, Moses, when he was called, he had all kinds of suggestions for God and disagreements. God ends up getting kind of frustrated with him and has to adjust the call a little bit and throw Aaron in there. Mary doesn't do any of that, but instead, if you look over at verse 38 of chapter 1, it says, this is Mary's whole response, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's it. See, I think that part of Mary's ordinary life was she ordinarily and routinely said yes to God. This wasn't the first time she had been called. This is the most extraordinary and extravagant, but this is not the first time that she's been called. She must have been living her life in such a way that God knew she would be receptive to that call to hearing it to begin with, so it wouldn't just be a ringing noise lost among all the others, but then that she would respond. But hear me on this. I believe that Mary could have said no. God didn't force Jesus upon her. I believe Mary could have said no. Mary had a role to play, and I think that she could have hung up the phone. Now get me when I say this. I don't think that what that means is that Gabriel would have been gone back to God and been like, God, I delivered your message, and she said no. And then God's like, oh man, I really wanted to do this Jesus thing. And now I'm just stuck. What are we going to do? You don't think that's what would have happened. I think that that God doesn't give up, right? God is unrelenting. God always keeps going. And so God keeps calling. He would have gone to the next Mary and the next Mary and the next Mary until finally one said, I am your servant. Let it be to me as you've said, right? So it's important to understand the power of our response. We're not going to stop God in this, but we do get to choose if we participate. It reminds me of a few months ago, a couple months ago, I don't know what COVID time is. It could have been last week. A couple months ago, I think, we were going through the study of Esther, right? And there's that pivotal time when Esther's uncle comes to her and says, look, you've got to tell the king who you are because she's been hiding that she's a Jew and the Jews are being condemned to death. And so he goes to her and says, look, it's time. It's time for you to get in the game and stand up and tell him who you are and save these people, right? Right? And she's not sure what to do. She's on the fence because she knows the great personal risk that comes with revealing who she is and casting her hat in with those who are only already condemned. And he basically tells her, he doesn't say, look, Esther, you have to save the people because if you don't do this, all hope is lost and we're all going to die. What he says to her, because he, he knows who God is, this is a huge statement of faith, But what he says to her is, God will find another way. If you don't do this, God will find another way to save the people. But you will miss out. You will miss out. So we have to understand our response. God is constantly calling us to partner with him. To bring about this new thing that God is doing to bring about new life to the places that are dead, to bring healing to the hurting and comfort to the suffering. God is constantly calling us to that. And God says, I have this great idea and I want you to be part of it. And if we say no, God's not going to stop. God's going to keep bringing newness and keep bringing new life and keep doing amazing, audacious things. But we might miss it. We might miss it. And so we have to decide if we're going to partner with God because God doesn't force himself upon us. God didn't force himself upon Mary. He didn't force Jesus upon Mary. He's not going to force Jesus upon us. I wholeheartedly believe that God the Father didn't even force himself upon Jesus the Son. All throughout Jesus' life, we see Jesus responding to God's call and being led by the Spirit, But we also have this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where we get Jesus' heart laid bare. And it's very clear what Jesus wants. Jesus wants this cup of suffering to pass from him. He doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to be tortured. He doesn't want to die this gruesome, painful death. And I believe, personally, he also wants to spare his family and his friends from the grief that they're going to experience from his death. So he lays it out for God. He basically begs the Father another way. But then Jesus says yes again. Yes, like he's always said yes. Yes, like Mary said yes. He could have hung up the phone, but instead he says yes. And we get that when he says, but not my will, but your will be done. And we see that Jesus says yes, even to the point of death and death on a cross. So God's not going to force himself on us, but we have to decide this God who cares and this God who calls, how are we going to respond? Are we going to join with God and partner with God? Are we to say yes and join this long list of those who've said yes? Or are we going to miss it? But the other thing that I see in Mary's song is not just that God cares and God calls and that we have this response to make, But God is able. See, here's the thing. If we live in a world where God doesn't care, it's a terrible place to live. It's a horrible place that's devoid of hope and peace and joy and love. But here's the thing. If we live in a world where God can't do anything about it, he cares, but he can't do anything, it's a pretty terrible world too. A world devoid of hope and peace and joy and love. Because if God is just one more who suffers with us, then all God is, is another one of us suffering. Maybe he suffers more completely. He knows not only my pain, but everybody's pain, and he knows it intimately, and so he can suffer completely. But at the end of the day, that just makes him, like, the best sufferer. And maybe we can have some company in that, but it's still a pretty bleak place to live. Because if God cares and suffers, but all he does is suffer with us, then all he is is an, another one of us suffering. But that's not all that God is. God is able. See, this God who cares, when God calls and God's people respond, God is able. God is able to do the unimaginable, God is able to do the formerly impossible. God is able to bring life where there is death, to bring healing where there's only brokenness and pain. God is able. That's why Mary praises God in this song. But if you look at it, there's some technical stuff going on with the verb tenses and stuff with the way she praises God. There's a special tense in Greek that we don't have in English. But the way she's praising God for all of these things, she's talking about all the stuff that's supposed to happen at the end, at the eschaton, at the end times, all that stuff. But she's talking about it like it has already happened and is happening. So she talks about God feeding the hungry so there are no more hungry to feed. Bringing up the lowly and bringing down the proud so we're all in the same playing field so there's no longer abuse and oppression and misuse of power. Bringing the outsider in, all of these things that we envision happening at the end, Mary joyfully proclaims and praises God that God has already done it for God is able See, here's the thing. God cares, and God calls, and when we say yes, God shows up, and God is able to do so much. And again, this is a new thing that God is doing, but it's consistent with who God is. So it goes all the way back. Even at the end of her song, Mary ties back all the way to Abraham. And if you look at it, when Abraham says yes, And when Isaac says yes, and when Jacob says yes, and when Moses says yes, and when Joshua says yes, and when Hannah says yes, when Elizabeth says yes, when Mary says yes, when Jesus says yes, and then we who are now called the body of Christ and God's people, when we say yes, God shows up and we see that God is able. Amen? And here's the really cool thing about saying yes. We don't even have to have it figured out. We don't have to have all the details we don't even have to have an imagination big enough to contain it because when we say yes god shows up and is able to do more than we could ever ask or even imagine and see when this god who cares when he calls and we respond and say yes and god shows up then we find that god brings life out of the dead places we see that the god who can bring god who can bring life out of the barren whether that's the old barren womb of a couple or the dry barren desert or the barren grave that is literally the place of the dead where life should not be where there is no hope or peace or joy or love but even there god is able And there God is able to reach into the grave and bring about resurrection and new life and new hope and new joy and new peace and everlasting love. In the barrenness of our hard hearts, God is able to bring new life. In the barrenness of the broken, hurting, dark world around us, God is able to bring new life because the God that we serve, God is able. Amen? Praise God. And when God cares and God calls and we respond and God shows up and we see all the ways that God brings new life in us and through us and around us, the ways that God calls us to be part of saving the world and that we get to be a part of that, we see all of God's new making and new life bringing and world-saving action around us, that our hearts are overflowing with joy and we find ourselves taking up the song with Mary. So it becomes not just Mary's song any longer, but our song that we sing with her. And our soul cries out with hers. Our soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? This is what we're talking about when we talk about bringing glory to God's name. Glory carries with it this kabod, this heaviness. It's making weighty and heavy God's name. It's making God's name bigger. We we magnify God with our hearts and our lives in such a way. What does it mean to magnify? It means to make it easier to see to make it bigger and plainer and more clear and easier for us to see. So when we live our lives this way, when we live our lives constantly saying yes to the God who calls and the God who cares, when we partner with God in that new life bringing over and over and over again, always saying yes, then we live these lives that magnify God in such a way that it makes it easier for the world to see it makes it plain, it makes it clear, it makes it bigger, it makes it easier for the world to see that there is a God who cares. That there is a God who loves. That there is a God who cares about them and loves about them and is constantly calling them, calling them out of their death and brokenness, out of their own grave, constantly calling them unto God's self. And then if they will just respond with that audacious yes, then God will show up and he is able to bring them new life out of the dead places. He's able to heal their brokenness. He's able to be a shining light amidst the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. And we magnify God's name so the world can see that. And when we do that, and we see God doing all of this new stuff we join with Mary in praising God and we praise God for what God has done and we praise God for what God is doing but because we know that our God is able, we praise God confidently for that which God is going to do. Do you see that we join in Mary's song and we can proudly proclaim praise for that which God has started and is doing but is not yet finished for we know that God is able and God will do it. Amen? Praise God. And so we just have to decide how are we going to respond, right? Because I don't know about you but I don't want to miss this. You know, in these last few days of this year, I don't know what kind of person you are, I don't know if you do New Year's resolutions, but it's normal for us to have some type of reflective and introspective time in this last week before the year's out. And we often ask ourselves some important questions like, who do I want to be in 2021? What do I want from uh, 2021? We might have some new habits that we want to put in place to form and shape us to be new people. And if you're like me, You probably have a very long list of habits that you would like to leave behind and rehabit habit differently because I don't want to be the same person at the end of 2021 that I am now. And these are all great questions, but I would challenge us today to start the list with some even more important questions. Start the list with what does God want in 2021? What does God want from me in 2021? What new thing, what new thing does does God want to do in and through me in this new year? What is God calling me to? And it might be something big. It might be leaving your business and starting another one that's not concerned so much about making money, but about caring for employees and the community around you. It might be selling your home and moving from a more affluent part of town to a less affluent part to be with people who God is calling you to minister to, to live among them and and become one with them? It might be something huge like that. But there are so many moment, my moment calls that we miss. So you don't even have to wait till December 31st to ask that one. What is God calling me to right now? How is God calling me to partner with God and cooperate in this new work that God is already at work doing. When we end our teaching times here at New City, we usually go through four movements. The first of those being a decision time. And it seems most appropriate today. This is that time where you decide, do I want to say yes to God? Do I want to say yes for 2021? Do I want to say yes right now? Do I want to give my life to God and say, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't even know that my imagination's big enough, but I want to say Yes. If that's you today, I encourage you to take that opportunity. And I encourage you to tell us. There are different ways to do that. If you're you're online, there's a button in the chat that you can push and let us know. If you're here, you can come and talk to us or you can send us messages. But just let us know that you're making that decision because we would love to partner with you in that journey. The other movement that we have is this movement of generosity and worshiping through giving. And if you want to worship in that way today, if you're here today, you can use the boxes that are in the back. If you're online, lots of ways to give. You can give online, you can text to give, or you can give through the app. Our third movement is communion. At a time when we take the bread and the cup and remember God, we remember Jesus' body broken for us, and we remember Jesus' blood shed for us. And as you do that today, as you take communion today, I also encourage you to remember the yes that Jesus said. The yes that led to his body being broken. The yes that he said that led to his blood being spilled for you. The yes that he said so that we could say yes. And then our fourth movement is prayer. And so I'd like to pray for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise your name. We magnify you, Lord, and we just join with Mary in her song. We thank you that you are a God who cares, that you are not absent and unknown and unfazed and unaffected, but that you know our pain and our suffering fully, that you suffer with us and that you care, that you love so much that you give us your son. God, thank you for being a God who calls us. God, I feel like Mary where I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that you are even aware of me. And yet for you to call and say, I've got this plan and this part that you play in it to help save the world. God, thank you for being a God who calls. And thank you for being a God who calls enough that even when we don't hear your call or reject your call, you keep calling. God, may our our lives be quieted in such a way that we seek out your call, that we can hear you, that it would rise above all of the other noise, and that we would intentionally quiet our lives so that we can seek and hear your call. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that the busyness of life overpowers that. But God, also forgive us for the many, many, many times that we say no, the many times that I've said no when I've answered your call, Lord. Thank you for being a God who doesn't doesn't forget us and doesn't give up on us, but continues to call and seek us out. God, thank you for being there for the times that when we respond, you always show up. Thank you for reminding us that you are the God who is able, able to do so much more than we can even imagine. So God, we just praise your name today. We praise you for all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. your holy and precious and glorified name we pray. Amen.